I love to make sure that we always give credit where credit is due, okay? Many of you are aware that there's a group of pastors that we are from around the region. We get together on Wednesdays, and we sit down, and we plan our sermons out together. Um, It's the guys from Hope Valley Church, uh, us, and then um, sometimes... Charles Wilson from the Hill Church in Roanoke comes down and visits with us, but also the main guys are the guys from Valley Bible Church in Radford. Those are the guys who are part of the the Bonhoeffer house that we've mentioned, and Noah that you met a few weeks ago is a part of that internship and the training program through Bonhoeffer house. So what we do is everybody writes their own sermon and kind of comes in with their own outline, and then we sit down and try to sharpen each other and say, you know, hey, I'm really struggling with what to do with this part of the passage, or I, I really don't know how to illustrate this well, or somebody will say, maybe there's a better word to use here than this or, or that kind of thing. And I'll be honest, um, it has been tremendous for me. So anything good that's come out of John probably came out of that Wednesday group, just for the record. Um, I did have, I'll keep her name anonymous, um, but one of our senior adults asked me when I got back from sabbatical if I'd taken a preaching class while I was gone. That's how much this has impacted uh, the, the way that God's been working through the, the preaching of his word. So this week, though, I wanted to, to be fully a, a disclosure on this one. I was wrestling with what to do with this passage. And Michael Worrell, who actually was one of the guys here with Noah, he's not here today, but he was one of the guys sitting on the front seat when Noah preached a couple weeks ago. Um, Michael preached this passage at Valley Bible Church last week. And there was something about the way that he broke it out and, and some of the things that he highlighted that I couldn't find a better way to do it. So I want to make sure that I give credit where credit's due. Um, Adrian Rogers used to say that if my bullets fit your gun, shoot them, but you supply the powder, okay? So that's what we've basically done. I I took some of the things that Michael had had, uh, kind of sussed out and figured out through God's word and tried to make it our own as we look at it this morning. Now, not because of that, but just because of the nature of the passage, um, my sermon is going to be a little bit different this morning. Most of you guys are used to me having three or four points, and sometimes you'll take notes as far as, you know, what are the main points that are going to be up on the screen and things like that. Well, my message today is pointless. Um, No, wait. um, Hopefully it's not pointless. But rather, my message today is more of a narrative style. We're just going to go through this passage a little bit at a time and walk through it because as John recounts what's going on here with Peter, you're going to find that he bounces back and forth between Peter and John, or excuse me, and Jesus and what's going on. And and there's little nuggets for us to pull out along the way, but it's all really leading to one main point. In fact, there's going to be basically two different things we're drawing from this, and that is an encouragement, and more importantly, maybe perhaps for some of us, the bulk of the message is going to be spent talking talking about a warning to all of us, okay? Um, So go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have not yet done so, to John chapter 18. It's hard to believe, by the way, that we are nearing the end of our study through John. Uh, We'll finish up in the first part of May. In fact, um, just so you can be aware, I'm probably not going to be preaching on Mother's on Mother's Day. We're going to do a recap of the John series. So we'll finish up our John series there uh, on Mother's Day, all right? Hope that doesn't offend you too badly. Um, But as you're turning over, we're going to be in John chapter 18, starting in verse 12. And I want to ask you a serious question. I know I like to joke around a lot. Um, I I like to keep things light. But I think with the, the weight of this morning's passage, with everything we're seeing going on in the world around us, I need to ask you a serious question. And that is, what would it take for you to deny Jesus? What would it take for you to deny Jesus. Now, I know a lot of you guys, y'all are longtime church people, and you love Jesus, and you've been following him for years, and so your knee-jerk reaction to that question is, absolutely not, I would never deny Jesus. 
But I want to challenge that. Peter would have said the exact same thing. And as we walk through his story, I want you to see yourself in it. And let this be a warning to all of us. See, as much as we think we would be strong, I'm afraid that often it would take less than we think. We'll get to the encouragement later. Let's walk through the text a piece at a time to get a picture of what's been going on. Now, as we're diving in, let's set the stage. Remember, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples a few hours before the events we're going to read about this morning. After he'd washed the disciples' feet and he was predicting what was about to come, if you remember, he was talking to, to, the fact, to them about the fact that he said, I'm going to go away and you can't come the way that I'm going. He was talking about going to the cross and ultimately ascending to heaven and it wasn't time for them to go that way yet. Keep in mind who Peter is, by the way, as we're getting ready to dive into Peter's life in just a little bit here. Think about it. He was the guy who was, of, of everybody, he was one of the ones closest to Jesus. Out of anybody on earth, he was one of those inner three that Jesus had taken to himself out of his disciples. He was the guy who walked on water with Jesus. Now, yeah, he did get his eyes off Jesus and falter, but he's the only one who got out of the boat and walked with him. He's the one that that when Jesus was transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah appeared there on the mountain, he was the one that wanted to build some tents or some tabernacles for them to stay in because he thought, hey, this is going to be a really cool deal. Last week, we saw that Peter's the one who was so ready to go to bat for Jesus that he was willing to take a swing at Malchus and he cut off his ear. That's this guy. Peter was the, the one who said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter, the strong one, the one who was originally named Simon, who Jesus called Peter, which means rock, right? This is the guy. Now, he's the guy who put his foot in his mouth. He's the one who got ahead of Jesus. He's the one who did take his eyes off Jesus and begin to sink. But yet here he is, this guy who's so strong. Remember, he's the one who in John 13 swore he would die with Jesus, right? Here's what he said in John 13, verse 37. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And I bet you he meant every word of that. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, okay, if somebody says, I know you're going to do that, what are you going to do? Anything but that, right? Like if you're like, you know, I know you're going to eat that second piece of cake. I'm going to do anything in my power to not eat that second piece of cake, right? If you told me you're going to do this, I'm going to try really hard not to. So if Peter was just told a few hours before, hey, you're going to deny me three times, what do you think Peter should be on guard for? Denying Jesus. But what we're going to find this morning is that Peter was as fallible as the rest of us are. So dive in with me here to John chapter 18. We're going to pick up in verse 12. We're here in the garden with Jesus and his disciples. He's gone through the whole section we saw last week where he said, I am. He's healed Malchus's ear after Peter tried to chop off his head. And it says this in verse 12. Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. So after the, now let's pause right there. Let's kind of get a little bit of perspective. I don't want to get too deep into it, but let's kind of get a little bit of what's going on. After the encounter we looked at last week, we see that Jesus allows himself to be arrested and tied up. Remember, Jesus is in control this entire time. We're going to see that. 
But Jesus allows himself to be arrested and tied up and taken to a guy named Annas. Now, one of the things that's tricky when you're reading through the gospel accounts of the last night of Jesus' life and all the trials is trying to keep everybody straight. One of the reasons is because there's only one high priest at a time, but Annas is referred to as the high priest and Caiaphas is referred to as the high priest. So which one is it? Well, to give you a little bit of history, what happened was Annas was the high priest, but he made the Romans mad. So they deposed him and put his son-in-law, Caiaphas, in as the high priest. But Annas was still alive, and so everybody looked as the high priest. So although Caiaphas was officially the high priest, everybody still looked at Annas as if he were the high priest. Even Josephus, one of the Jewish historians of the day, used the word high priest to describe Annas and some of the things that happened after he was deposed, right? So which one is it? It's both. Officially, Caiaphas is the one in charge, but as far as anybody's concerned, Annas is the one who's actually in charge. He's the father-in-law. He's the man behind the man. He's the one making everything happen. So they take him first to Annas. Now, it's possible, by the way, that Annas and Caiaphas lived in the same complex, and so they had a shared courtyard, and that could explain some of the back and forth you see. But so here you've got him. He's now... Uh, we see that they're, they're coming to Annas. They're coming to figure out what's going on. They're going to try Jesus for everything he's done, right? Well, pick back up in verse 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was at the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Now, Remember what happened after Jesus was arrested. Everybody scattered like cockroaches when you turn the light on, right? Mark talks about a young man who ran away. He was wrapped in a bed sheet, and he ran away naked because they grabbed the sheet as he ran off. That's likely Mark talking about himself being there. Everybody said, but there was one other disciple and Peter who ended up circling back around and going now to the high priest's courtyard. Who was the other disciple? We don't know for sure, but most likely it was John. It seems that John's family had connections with the high priest. So if you notice, John writes about himself several times in the Gospel of John. He, as the one who Jesus loved, who reclined at his chest during the Lord's Supper. Uh, he also will talk about Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. The other disciple got there fast. That was probably John because he was the youngest. So, so John never refers to himself really by name when he's talking about the things that he did. So here he does the, the kind of deferment thing. And he says, there was another disciple with Peter. He got him into the courtyard. So far, so good. You could, again, everybody else is hiding at this point. The other nine are are off running away and hiding, and here Peter and John are there in the the temple courtyard, right? So at least they're, or at least in the high priest courtyard. They're, They're there. But here's where it starts to unravel. Peter was doing pretty good up to this point. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. The servant guarding the door asks Peter, you aren't one of this guy's disciples too, are you? The way this is worded in the Greek, by the way, she's expecting him to answer no. Now, we don't know about the, the two. Is that talking about did she know that John was one of his disciples? It's possible. We don't really know why she said you're not one of his disciples too, but either way you cut it, this is some servant girl. John Chrysostom, uh, who was one of the early church fathers, one of the best preachers in church history, uh, the, the name Chrysostom actually means golden tongue, by the way. He had this incredible ability to speak. He, he brought this out. He said, look, Peter is standing in front of a low-class servant girl who drew the short straw of having to guard the door that night. 
And she simply says, now, you're not one of his disciples too, are you? There's no threat behind it. There's no, no weight behind this. And yet, what does Peter do? No, nah, I'm not. I'm not. Now think about that for a second. Think about who's asking this question. This low-status girl. And again, we know that everybody's created equal. It's just we, we know in this day they didn't think that the same way. This girl had no authority. She had no power. And yet, even in the face of just this lowly servant girl, Peter caves. Nah, I'm not one of his disciples. No, huh? Any way you cut it, Peter failed miserably on his first test. I mean, this was his chance. Just a a few hours maybe, if, if that long, he was in the garden with a sword trying to chop off a guy's head. And now some girl says, now you... Weren't you with him? Aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, 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 not me. No, not me. It's easier than we think to deny Christ. Now, the man who hours before had sworn he would go with Jesus to the death finds himself denying him, likely out of fear. It's interesting because here we've got Peter and he's denied Christ all of a sudden, John pans the camera. It actually would be a really cool one shot if you're into that kind of thing for, for film, film stuff, you know, and cinematography. He, here's Peter by the fire, and John pans all of a sudden now up to where Jesus is on trial. So picking it up, he says in verse 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Verse 20, I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things. Now, keep in mind, before we read that, keep in mind, who's talking there? Jesus, the God of the universe, the God who sustains everything. And when he responds, here's what happens in verse 22. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, is this the way you answer the high priest? Think for just a second. Somebody just slapped God the Son. And he took it. Here's how he responds. Verse 23. If I've spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong. But if rightly, why do you hit me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Do you see the difference here? We've got Peter over here. Some lowly servant girl is saying, hey, weren't you with him? Nah, not me. Jesus is on trial for his life, literally. And he doesn't waver an inch. His response is perfectly measured. The high priest is trying to trap him into something they can kill him for, right? They're trying to get Jesus to say things and say, aha, see, that's it. So what's Jesus do? Hey, listen, you know what I taught. I didn't hide any of this. Ask everybody who heard me. If I said something worthy of death, ask them. They should be able to tell you. You got to have two or three witnesses agree on a thing. So uh, you can find at least two or three people. I taught in the synagogues. I taught in the temple. Ask them. He gets slapped, and he still doesn't respond. He says, hey, if I lied, fine, but I didn't. So why'd you slap me? 
Can you see the difference between the faltering Peter and the faithful Christ? He's not wavering an inch. He's not backing down. He's not losing his cool. He's controlling the conversation just like he has the whole way through. John backs the camera back out. And now we're back around the campfire with Peter. Having seen the faithfulness of Christ, here he is, Peter, standing by the story, or excuse me, standing by the fire, and it doesn't get any better. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, aren't you? He answered, no, I'm not. Second time he's been asked this question. Second time he's failed. Now, the other gospel writers tell us more about what Peter said. They give us more details about the way that he responded. And and in fact, in this instance, uh, one of the gospel writers tells us he actually started swearing that he didn't know. Now, by the way, in those days when you talk about swearing and cursing, we're not talking about using cuss words, okay? It's not that he started using four-letter words. He started taking an oath saying, this is the truth. I swear that this is the truth, right? He's binding himself to his words. I swear to you, I am not one of his disciples. That's a big deal, especially in that culture. You were bound by your word. They were an honor and shame culture. So for you to break your word was a big deal. So he's, he's sitting here, he says, I am not. Now it's interesting, why doesn't John tell us any of that? Well, there's lots of reasons perhaps. But two times now we've seen Peter deny Christ using the phrase that John writes out here. I am not. Why is that significant? stands in stark contrast to the one we saw last week, doesn't it? When Jesus asked the temple guards and those who came to arrest him, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. What did he say? I am. And in the power of declaring the divine name to them, he knocked them flat on their back. Isn't it interesting to watch the contrast between the one who willingly said, I am? Not just to flex about my name, but willingly to submit himself to arrest and death versus Peter who's sitting there saying, I am not. Now, Peter was right. He's not the I am. But the problem is his I am not was coming from a place of fear and pride that says, I know better what I need to do than what God does. I need to watch out for my own neck instead of being truthful in this instance. Peter put himself above God in that way. So yeah, he was trying to be God if he had recognized that humility to say, I am not the I am. I am not God and I am not in charge of my own life. Then perhaps he would have had the humility to be able to stand up and say, yes, I am one of his disciples. Jesus leaned into it in the garden and said, I am the one you're looking for. Peter, I am not. Guys, don't we do this? Don't we do this? Out of our own pride, out of our own fear, we refuse to be counted with Christ, lest we be thought weird. That's two. It doesn't get better for Peter. Verse 26 One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? It's starting to get closer to daybreak by this point. 
Keep in mind, this is 1,800 years before electric lights. So the only fire that they had was the only light that they had, the torches that were around. It was dim. It was dark. It seems like we're nearing the morning. As we're nearing the morning, perhaps the light started to shine. And one of Malchus's relatives, maybe like his cousin, remember the cousin of the guy that you just tried to chop off his head? Didn't I see you in the garden? You were right there. Like, you weren't even in the background. You were right there with him. Peter denied it. Now, again, the other gospel writers here say not only did he take an oath, he started bringing a curse on himself. Again, we don't think in those kind of terms um, the, the best analogy that I could think of for this, and it's really, really silly, is how many of you guys have watched um, Finding Nemo, okay? If you recall, there's a moment where you have three of the uh, three sharks that are in a recovery meeting, right? Because they've been eating fish and they're trying to stop. If you recall, one of them says, hello, my name is Bruce. It's been three weeks since my last fish on my honor, or may I be chopped up and made into soup, okay? That's basically taking a curse on himself. If I'm lying on my honor, if I'm lying, then may I be chopped up and made into soup. Peter said something much stronger than that that probably I couldn't repeat in church. But he basically said, I never knew this man, and I swear to you on pain of death that I didn't know him. Now, we're not just skirting the issue. We watched Sing 2 yesterday. If you've seen that one, there's a scene where one of the lead characters does an amazing job of not lying by never answering the question, right? He, he makes it like somebody asks him a direct question and he responds with a question that sort of leads you away but is not actually true. That's not what Peter's doing here. He's not kind of given a half-truth of, well, you know, maybe. No, he is flat out saying, on pain of death, I don't even know this man. Peter, Peter, the guy that saw Jesus in his glory on the mountain, the guy who climbed out of the boat and walked on water with him, the guy who watched Jesus take loaves and fish and feed thousands of people, the guy who'd seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, says, I don't even know this guy. And immediately, a rooster crowed. You even imagine The other gospel writers give us even more detail. Luke 22, here's how Luke records it. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. Can you imagine this? Look around the courtyard. See all of these people. See Jesus way up there being tried and he going on, him being slapped in the face. And here you are, you're denying that you even know him and he turns around and looks you in the eye. It's no wonder that he went outside and went bitterly. Have you ever done something you're ashamed of? And you know that moment when all of a sudden the guilt and the shame and the weight of that makes it hard to breathe. 
where you realize you may have damaged a relationship that you may not be able to repair. You've made a decision that you can't walk back. There are consequences, and God is gracious to forgive, but these consequences may never go away. Think about the weight of that moment. Think about having Jesus look you in the eye right when it happened. Jesus on trial, ready to die, looking at you. What would it take for you to deny Christ? It would take less than you think. It's so much easier. If Peter could do this, you may be sitting there saying, you know, Sean, this is a great story, but what's it got to do with me? Because we are Peter. All of us are, myself included. All of us have days where we don't want to be associated with Christ because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to have those difficult conversations or to have people think this about us or that about us. But the reality is every single one of us can deny Christ with our words and our actions just like Peter did. My wife and I were out shopping yesterday. The clerks at the store found out that I was a pastor, and that always leads to some interesting conversations, okay? Also, make sure you got to be on your A game because <laughs> you, you can't. The clerk forgot to ring up something that, that he gave us, and it would have been a real expensive mistake on his part. So you better believe we went back in store to make that right because he knew I was a pastor, and if he figured out that I walked out, it would look bad on the name of Christ. But I, I was just there to shop. I, I was just there to get what we needed and, and get out of there. All of a sudden, these guys start telling me about what they're reading in the Bible right now. I didn't get the impression for sure that they knew Jesus, but they're reading through the Bible. One of them tells me he's a Roman Catholic, or used to be, but he said, ah, they serve an angry God. I don't want to do that. And you know what I wanted to do? Get my stuff and leave. <laughs> like, I just, I just need to buy some things. I just need to get out of here. I ain't got all day. I don't want to do this. I didn't even have to start the conversations. Jesus plopped them in my lap. And yet I don't want to have that conversation right now. We went to another store. And as we were walking through the store, just getting the other things that we needed, there was an older gentleman who was standing there waiting on his wife. And, you know, we made eye contact as I was walking up the aisle. And this guy did, hey, how are you? Yeah. And as we did, I got close to him. And he stuck out his hand. And he said, so I just want to know, do you know the gospel? And he handed me a track. Started talking to him. He's a member of a church up at Inventon. Just wanted to be able to share the gospel that day. You want to talk about convicting? When a pastor doesn't want to have a spiritual conversation with somebody that God just laid in his lap and then walks up on a Jesus-loving church member who's out telling people about Christ. All of us can deny Jesus with the way we live. Every single one of us can. I mentioned earlier, you've seen in the news about ways that pastors have not been acting like pastors. 
That's why, by the way, anybody that ever tells me that they feel like God's calling them to ministry, I will tell them that they need to do anything else if God will let them because the stakes are entirely too high. We all are sinners. There's nothing super spiritual about me. But if I deny Christ through my words or my lifestyle, the ripples are much larger than for some. And it's especially true when you see guys that God gives a national or international platform. But as you see those stories and you sit there and say, how could this man do that? How could they let that go? How could they? The reality is every single one of us could do the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Why do I know that? Because Peter did. Peter flat out denied that he even knew Jesus. So we want Peter's life to be a warning to us. How are you living? I mean, you know, some of you guys, y'all are in school. You've been with folks for class for most of a semester. Do they have any idea that you're a Christian? Now, I'm not saying you need to walk in tomorrow and stand up on the desk and start, you know, preaching the gospel. Maybe you should. I don't know. But are you living in such a way that Jesus would be honored and exalted? Or are you denying Christ by the way that you're living? Are you laughing at the jokes around the water cooler that you know you shouldn't because you don't want to be the weird prudish guy? Are you going to the places, doing the same things, knowing that you're dishonoring Christ, but too scared of what people will think of you if you don't? It's all too easy for us to deny Christ. Now, Peter's story doesn't end here. We don't get to get to the good part for a few more weeks. But there's a beautiful ending to this story. The warning that we've seen is that all of us can fall. But I mentioned at the beginning that there was an encouragement here too. What's the encouragement? While Peter was denying Jesus, Jesus never denied him. You see, Jesus willingly allowed himself to be arrested. Jesus willingly submitted to the Father's plan like we talked about last week. Jesus went to Annas. He went to Caiaphas. He went to Herod, to Pilate, and to the cross. He was faithful even though everyone else had abandoned him and everyone had fallen away and nobody was willing to do it. Jesus stayed faithful because we can't. See, this is the message of the gospel. This is it. All of us, left to ourselves, will do our own thing and deny Christ and fail every time. We cannot be faithful on our own. So God loved us so much that he would give his only son to die in our place, to take my failures, all the times I've denied Christ with my words and my actions, and hang on the cross to pay the penalty for all of that. And then he offers me his life in its place. This is why I titled the message, The Faithfulness of Christ. Because as you see Peter fall, it's all about the fact that Jesus was faithful when we couldn't be. That's why you're saved today if you are saved. Not because you've gone to church for a long time, or because you're a good person, or because you gave money, or because you did any of these things. You're saved because your God loved you so much that he died in your place and saved you when you couldn't do it on your own. And you know what's crazy? He did it knowing 
that there would be days you would deny him still. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and just pretend like it's no big deal. These are the things that put Jesus on the cross. We should want to avoid things that caused our Savior to die. But as we do, Peter, with his faltering faith, is us. But Jesus is our faithful Savior. My question for you then is this. What are you trusting in today? You know, I've talked with Brother Kerry about it. One of the scariest things for me as a pastor is that somebody will sit here for years and years and hear me preach the gospel and get yelling every once in a while and things and walk out and say, boy, it was a good message. He sure got fired up, didn't he? But still be trying to work your way to heaven. Somehow still think you can be good enough to do this. You are not Jesus. You're not, and you never will be. But Jesus was Jesus for you. Jesus was faithful. Jesus died in your place so that you could be saved, so that you could know life and righteousness and joy and hope as you walk underneath his lordship and him as a king, you as his servant, following him every day of your life from now until the end of eternity. Finding joy and purpose you would never even know. So are you walking in that today? Have you surrendered to Jesus? Or are you still thinking, you know what? I've got this. If you haven't surrendered to Christ, I want to invite you just to do that right now. You don't have to come down here. There's no magic incantation. I don't have any holy water or anything. It's simply a matter of you transferring your trust from what you can do to what Jesus has done. The Bible word for that is repent. You know, when I've studied repentance, I think we get repentance a little bit wrong. We usually describe repentance as if I'm going this way, it's, it's a U-turn. So if God shows me this is wrong and this is sin, then I repent and I turn back to going the other way, to going the direction God calls me to. And that's part of it. But I think that's the second part of repentance. The first part of repentance is that moment when Jesus looked at Peter and the rooster crowed. Repentance is letting the weight of our sin break our heart. And then out of that, saying, you know what? I can't keep doing it. Because there's a whole lot of people who said, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. So in my strength, I'm going to try to do what God says. But repentance doesn't let that happen. True godly repentance says, I can't do this. I have failed and I need Jesus. So then I turn from the way I was living and I turn to following him, walking in his strength, walking in his faithfulness, walking in his power in a way that honors him. So that's what you got to do today. You got to transfer your trust from you to him, to repent, to turn and say, God, I know you died to forgive me and I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge of my life. But now as I look out across this room, I figure most of you guys know Jesus. Most of you have been saved. So here's my question for you. What area of your life do you think today I would never do this? I've heard pastors who would say, I would never have an affair. I would never use the church's funds inappropriately. I would never. 
Adrian Rogers also used to say that an unguarded strength is a double weakness. That area where you say, I would never do this, is the area where you're likely to fall. Because you think you're strong. You think you've got this. You think I'm ready to die with you. But when push comes to shove, all it takes is some young servant girl standing outside in the dark saying, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And you cave. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a minute. As Daniel comes up here, I want you to take a minute and examine your life. It could be you already know areas where you're denying Christ with the way that you live. You know, I saw some tears. I felt them in my own heart when we were talking about the rooster crowing and the awareness of our own sin. So if God put his finger on an area of your heart in that moment, let the weight of that bring about genuine repentance. Because here's the beauty of this. The sin, the shame, the guilt, Jesus took every bit of that on the cross. So when you feel that weight of your sin and you turn to Christ and you lay that on him, he's paid for that. And now you can live in joy and in freedom and in hope, knowing that he's in charge, knowing that you're forgiven and you have peace with God. So today there may be an area where you need to repent already. If not, then my question for you is, is there an area where you thought I would never do this? Would you ask God through his spirit to show you if there's a place where you're actually making compromises there that you didn't even realize? You're already beginning to deny Christ. Or there's steps you need to take to tighten it up, to stop doing what you've been doing, to be able to honor Jesus well. He was faithful even though we're faithless. So take some time and do business with him. If you need to talk, I'll be down front. If not, just do business with God where you're at, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. You had guys like John write things that made Peter not look so great. But it made him look real. In this moment, we know that Peter failed. It's so easy for us to do. God, would you keep us on guard this week? 
Would you help us to see areas where we're compromising, where we're moving towards denying Christ, maybe not with our words yet, but with our actions, where we're not living to honor him, where we're making compromises. God, would you help us to shore up those areas where we say we would never so that we can give you honor and glory because you are the God who is faithful for us. For the hearts who are here this morning who are broken over their own sin, would you pour out your love and grace on them? Would you give them the grace to repent? to turn from the things that they've been doing that don't honor Christ and turn to doing what you've called them to do for your name, your glory, and their good? Would you help us as a church figure out what it looks like to engage our community in such a way that we represent Christ well with what we do? God, give us your grace. Give us your strength. Thank you that Jesus was faithful even when we're not. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us. Now, again, I'll close with one last Adrian Rogers quote. I was heavily impacted by his messages in case you haven't noticed that. He had a way with words. And one of the other things he said was, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. It's real easy to sit in this room and say, I'm going to do this differently this week. It's a whole lot harder at work tomorrow or at school or in your dorm room or your apartment. So settle it right now. How you're going to change in his strength, in his power, in his ability, and then go out from here and honor him this week. All right? Well, with that in mind, we love you guys. We are so grateful for all God's doing and you are dismissed.